This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm excited about today's message because Jesus is building his church. Jesus is building it, not Pastor Jim, not Kayleen, not Candace, not Jason, not Gary, not... Mr. Jeff here looking so fly. No, Jesus is building his church and he invites us, each and every one of us, that's all of you today, to be a part of it. By the way, my name is Pastor Jason Chatham. I am the lead pastor of Courageous Church. In case you haven't figured that out yet, I thought I better point that out. Who's that guy with the green shirt playing the guitar and speaking of, so glad you're here. Back to the text. Today, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to read this together. And uh, it's going to be our key text for this message. Beginning in verse 13 through 18, it says this. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said to Jesus, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And Jesus said to them, verse 15, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven, verse 18. And I tell you, you are now Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Put your hands together as we welcome Pastor Jim Shadler today. This is a fascinating passage. It's been debated for centuries due to a misplaced focus by many. But my assignment today is not to address the debate. But let me clarify. The focus of this passage is not the disciples. The focus of this passage is not Peter and the authority vested in or related to him. In fact, this is a watershed moment in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And the focus is threefold. Number one, Jesus is the Messiah. Number two, Jesus will build his church. And number three, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that Jesus is building. Have you ever wondered How is Jesus building his church? Of course, we know today that the church is not a building. It's not a material structure. The church is people. In fact, when I was growing up, my grandmother used to gather my sisters and myself, and she would share a simple illustration with me. I'm going to ask Jason to help me. She would take her hands and she would tell us, this is the church, this is the steeple, 
open the doors and see all the people. But through my many years of study, I learned something altogether different, yet similar. This is the church building or facility. It may have a steeple. Open the doors and you will see that the church is the people. You see, the Bible was written in the first century in Greek. And the Greek word from which we translate our term church is ekklesia or ecclesia. It literally means the called out, gathered people of God, called by and to Christ. Now the term church is a 13th century medieval term from Greek and Germanic traditions, which literally means the house of the Lord. Now, did you realize that the early Quakers, today the modern Quakers are the Friends Church. Have you heard of the Friends? The early Quakers refused to call the place where they met churches because they knew that the biblical term referred to people and not to buildings. God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. And numerous places in the Old Testament, that statement is made, and it's reiterated in the New. You see, Jesus is building his church one person at a time. So we, as living stones are being built together into a spiritual building or a spiritual house which is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. It's amazing. See, the spiritual building is still under construction today. Jesus is the owner. He's the architect. He's the project manager. He's the foreman. And from time to time, you'll even find Jesus in the ditches digging. You say, why would Jesus be in the ditches digging? Because many of us are in the ditches of life. And Jesus finds us there. Because he's building his church. And he's building it with people. The point is, he's still building today. It's not finished. It was began after he rose from the dead, and it will not conclude until he comes the second time, maybe sooner than we think. Possibly today, Jesus will add another living stone, not an inanimate object, but a living, breathing human stone into this spiritual building called the church. You see, God is gathering to himself a people. We are his very own. We are citizens now, the New Testament says. We are family. We are living stones in this spiritual structure. And much like Peter experienced, it begins with a personal revelation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus poses the question to his disciples this way. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? 
Who do people say that I am? So let's personalize that this morning. Who is Jesus to you? Is he a great teacher or rabbi? Is he a prophet? Have you made up your mind today who Jesus is? Was he a good man? Or was he the God-man? Is he the Christ? The anointed one? The chosen one? Literally, the Messiah? You see, Christ is not his last name. And that's why we have the reference many times, Jesus the Christ. Because Christ is synonymous with Messiah from the Old Testament. The promised deliverer of the Jewish nation. Through whom... God says, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, let me suggest something this morning. If Jesus really did the things that he did, if he really healed the sick, and if he really cleansed the lepers, and if he really preached the gospel to the poor, and if he really died on a cross and rose from the dead... And if he really said the things that he said, like, I and the Father are one. Like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Like, you believe in God, believe also in me. If he did the things that he did, and he said the things that he said, that it drives us to an inescapable conclusion. C.S. Lewis was one of the most influential writers of the 20th century. He was a professor at Oxford and Cambridge in England. And he answered this question that I am posing in his book, Mere Christianity. He stated regarding the words and the works of Jesus that we have only three options in our response. Number one, Jesus was a liar, a deceiver. Number two, Jesus was a lunatic, a madman, self-deluded. Or number three, Jesus was Lord and is Lord. So who do you say that he is? And how can you know? How can we be sure? How can we know that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah? Well, the answer is simple. God's word and God's Holy Spirit reveals it to us. And we need the witness of both. They are complementary. And this is very important because you can't have one without the other. And many tragically move away from truth by excluding one. The word is critical. It's our authority. But if the word is not mixed with faith and if it's not breathed on by the Spirit, in fact, God's word makes it clear that no one can come to the Father unless the Spirit draw them. So we hear the gospel, the good news, through the word, but the Holy Spirit comes along and convinces us, and we agree then with the word and with God. On the other hand, there are those that don't want to emphasize the word, or they have extra-biblical authorities in their lives, and they emphasize the spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't enough, though, because you can have a spiritual experience, but if you're not tethered to the authority of Scripture, you might drift away into error. So we need both of these in our lives. Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, we'll put it up, you search the Scriptures, 
in the Old Testament. You search the Old Testament scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. He says, but they are they which testify about me, but you won't come to me so that you could be saved. Jesus says, it is they, the scriptures, which testify of me. So first, we look to the authority of God's word. The scriptures reveal Jesus to us. And then second, the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to us. In John 15, 26, Jesus says, when the helper comes, the helper, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. He says, I will send the helper to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth. He proceeds from the Father, and he says, he will bear witness about me. He will testify about me. He won't talk about himself. The Holy Spirit doesn't bring attention to himself. He points us to Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit will never take you out into left field. He'll never leave you shipwrecked or lost due to some strange doctrine or belief. The Holy Spirit won't do it. There are spirits that will do it, but it's not the Holy Spirit. In 1 John 4, verses 2 and 3, we see the unique relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 2, and John is, is writing, by this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Did you hit it? Every spirit that confesses, that testifies Jesus came in the flesh, is from God. And every spirit that doesn't confess Jesus is not from God. Jesus, the Word of God, who spent eternity past, equal with the Father, he put on flesh, John chapter 1 tells us. The Word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Jesus did come in the flesh. God came in the flesh to save us from our sins. Paul understood this. In Titus 2.13, he testifies, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He calls Jesus God. Peter understood this. 2 Peter 1 verse 1, Peter says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. So who do you think Jesus is? Believe me, there are plenty of counterfeit options, but only one true Christ, only one Messiah. Now let me just clarify. Not every gathering that has the name church is the church. For the church is gathered by the Holy Spirit into, the, into a union with the Lord Jesus Christ. So pretending to be the church doesn't make a gathering or a denomination or a movement a church. You understand that? Just because you call yourself a church doesn't make you the church that Jesus is building. Churches or gatherings that dilute or deny or despise the scriptures or who pervert the nature of God, or who diminish the doctrine of Christ, or where unregenerate men lead. I'm talking about people that aren't saved. Those are not churches at all. They're simply human institutions. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, there will be false Christs and there will be false prophets. And back in Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, beware of wolves that dress like sheep. Wolves in sheep's clothing. And so today you may have an opinion of him, but do you know him? Well, if not, why not meet him today? Did you realize today is the day of salvation? 
You say, well, you know, I had an opportunity in the past, but I, I let that go by, so I don't think today's a good day for me. No, today's the day of salvation. Today. Not yesterday and not tomorrow. Right now. The first to hear the message of hope, the good news, after Jesus rose from the dead, they said, men and brethren, what should we do? And Peter answered, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe, that's faith. The Philippian jailer watching over Paul and Silas in the book of Acts, they'd been in prison for preaching Jesus Christ. And at midnight, the prison was shaken and the chains fell off of them and the, the prison door swung open. And Paul and Silas just kept singing. And the jailer came in trembling. And what did he say? What must I do to be saved? And Paul said, repent and be baptized, and you and your household will be saved. This is a New Testament theme. Repent and be converted. Repent, have a change of mind. What that really is, is repent and repent. Change and change. Repent and you will be converted. Change and you'll be changed. You say, Jim, I've tried to change. Start with a change of mind about who you are and that you need God. And then God will begin the change in your heart that allows you to walk out this Christian life. It's amazing. Jesus started his ministry in Mark 1 and he said, repent and believe the good news. That's a New Testament theme. It's the most important decision you've, you'll ever make. Did you realize the church is so vast that no one can count it? It's gathered from the four winds of the earth, every nation, people, tribe, and tongue. It's an innumerable company. See, we look around today, we even look across the city or across the nation around the world, and we say, well, you know, the church, there's, there are people in it. We have no idea what Jesus has been building. You cannot count those that have joined his army. The promise that Abraham was given, the father of faith, is that your descendants will be more than the stars in the sky, more than the sands of the sea. But this spiritual house, this church, will be built one person at a time. Jesus says, that's my plan. That's my promise. I will build my church. And you can participate. Pilate asked the question, what then must I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? It's the same question that's asked of you and me today. Will you just close your eyes with me? And let me just help you think some thoughts if you're contemplating making that decision today in your own life. You could just repeat thoughts like these. Father in heaven, I believe you sent Jesus. Just repeat that. Father in heaven, I believe you sent Jesus. And Jesus, I believe you died on a cross for me. Repeat that. Jesus, I believe you died on a cross for me. I welcome you into my life to become my Lord and Master. Say that. I welcome you into my life to become my Lord and Master. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Say that to him. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe you died and rose again. Say it. I believe you died and rose again. And I confess with my mouth. Say it. I confess with my mouth. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. Amen. Thanks, Jim. If you made that decision today, one of the best things you can do is tell somebody. And we'd love to know. You can actually fill out a digital connect card. You can go to courageouschurch.com slash connect 
and let us know about your decision. We'd love to come alongside you. We'd love to pray for you, put some resources in your hand as well. But don't leave this place today without telling somebody, whether online or here. And you can tell anybody that's got a badge on it says here to serve. We'd love to come alongside you, help you out. Amen. Jim asked and answered the question, how is Jesus building his church? Well, now I want to answer the question, why? Why is Jesus building his church? Well, the answer, because God loves people. Because God loves you. When Jesus looked out over the region of Caesarea Philippi, he saw people caught up in idolatry, caught up in lust, caught up in pain and destruction, trying to live their best life, trying to do this and to do that. And he made the statement, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why did Jesus choose that place? Why did Jesus choose that moment? Why did Jesus choose that time to make that declaration? I want to tell you something about the region of Caesarea Philippi today. Maybe you don't know this, but geographically and contextually, let's put the picture up. This is what it looked like in Jesus's day. First century Caesarea Philippi. Put the picture up there. This is what it looked like in the first century. Jesus in the midst of Roman occupied territory in the Gentile region of Caesarea Philippi, standing out before this mountain, also known as Mount Bashan or Mount Hermon, makes this statement, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see where it says Grotto of Pan? Traditionally speaking, this region is important. It's important to what God is doing with Jesus here. Back in Old Testament times, it was ruled by many kings, Amorite kings, Gentile kings, kings that ruled their people harshly, that did detestable things, who offered children up in sacrifice. Moses and Joshua come into the land, and this is where they throw down to eradicate these kings that stood in the way of God's purpose for people. Flash forward into the first century, Rome has occupied this territory and now it has become a center of worship for the gods, Pan being one of the central figures. Pan was a, a half goat, half man god that the people worshipped. It's the word we get panic from. And legend had it that Pan would sneak into people's houses at night and cause terror and cause death. Pan was a god of death often linked with the God of the underworld, the Lord of death, Baal himself. And if you go back into the Old Testament and you hear about what King Jeroboam did by setting up altars to false gods, they worshiped Baal here at this location. And now flash forward hundreds of years and the Greeks and Romans are worshiping Pan at this location. Something about this location mattered. Because people kept coming back there to worship. And when the people would come to worship the god Pan, they would bring a goat with them. And they would dance the goat around and sometimes even sleep with the goat. And then they would take the goat to the mouth of this cave called the Grotto of Pan. And they would slit its throat and they would throw it into the water. Because in their mind, in their pagan mind, in their understanding, this was how they were going to get God's attention. This is how they were going to appease the gods. This is how they were going to have favor on their crops or in their lives. And it's here at this place that Jesus shows up with a ragamuffin crew and says to Peter, Peter, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, the Messiah. And Jesus says, my father in heaven could only have revealed that to you, Peter. 
And Jesus throws down his gauntlet at the gates of hell, literally at the mouth of the underworld, the place of Baal worship and idolatry and sin and revelry where people's lives were falling apart and destroyed. And he says, this is the place where I take back what is mine, where I begin to declare my father's good kingdom and rule. Then this is how we're going to do it. One person at a time. And why that's good news for us is because it means that despite our sin, despite our idolatry, despite our proclivity and propensity to worship other gods, God comes running for us because he loves us, because he loves people. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 through 10 says this in the NIV, but you... My church, my ecclesia are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of Pan's grotto and darkness and brought you into his wonderful, marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people, the very people of God. And that's us today, church, the people of God. It's for this people that Jesus marches to Jerusalem to be killed. It's for you and I that he willingly goes to the cross to suffer and die. He does it all for the joy set before him. He does it all for love. Why did Jesus choose to die? Here's the short answer. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. He did it all for Love, 1 John 3, 1 says this, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, has poured out on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. If you've put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, you are a child of God. He has adopted you into his family. He has given you the power and the right to be his kids. And that's good news today. Like children, Jesus invites all of us to find our place in the Father's house, to find ourselves in the place that he's prepared for us in his eternal family. We call it the church. More than a corporation, more than an organization, more than an institution, the church is a family. Jesus gave his life so that the Father could have a great big family. And that's what we are. And that's why we exist. That's why Courageous Church is here today. We exist to be a family for the broken and the hurting and the lost and the confused and the downtrodden and the discouraged. We're here to express his great love for them and for the people of Salt Lake City. That's why we're here. So I want to know, have you considered his love for you today? I mean, truly, not just heard about it on a bumper sticker, but have you stopped and said, wow, God loves me. Have you considered it for yourself today? Have you considered the great lengths to which Jesus has gone to make a place for you and his family? I believe this. When the church gathers, we're family. We're family. Now, for some of you that come from dysfunctional or broken or fragmented families, come on, everybody's got a little bit of dysfunction in their family. Everybody's got that crazy aunt or uncle that they know, right? It just says a little too much at Thanksgiving. <laughs> so when I use the word family, some of you are like, I don't know, family's a little messy. It is. And if you think we're perfect, we're not. We're messy. Some of you are like, I don't know, family's kind of risky. Like 
in family, people know all my secrets. Yep, that's what family's about, being known. Knowing and being known. Yeah, but you don't understand. Like family for me is, is a word that I've ran from my whole life because I never had a mom or I never had a dad who told me they loved, loved me. Well, I just want to say, like I said earlier, welcome home to a place where you're not going to be judged for how far you still have to go, but where your life will be celebrated for how far you've come. Am I talking to anybody today? That's the heartbeat behind why we're here. To be God's family in the earth, to express his love and his hope for all that would call upon his name. Friends, nothing can stop Jesus' family. Nothing can stop what he is building in the earth. The gates of hell and death and Hades and everything that life throws at us cannot prevail against God's family. And he wants you to be a part of it. Today we celebrate three years as a family. We celebrate new beginnings. We celebrate what Jesus is building. And I and Pastor Candice and Pastor Jim and our team want to invite you to be a part of it because we believe that we've got more work to do and our best days are ahead of us. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.